This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a show devoted to subjects that are hard to talk about because they make us feel vulnerable, afraid, or ashamed. This month, we're focusing on exploring our fears and how we cope with them. My guest tonight is Pastor Mayor Honan. We'll be talking about the struggle and the fears that she's had in doing her work of being a street minister. Pastor Mayor has been working at the Grace Street Ministry, a street ministry in Portland, Maine, since 2006. She's an ordained UCC minister, the mother of two grandsons, and also has a small private practice. Welcome to Safe Space, Pastor Mayor. Thank you. So glad we could do this, even with the snowstorm going yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm yeah, I'm listening to the snow tr- trucks outside pulling it around. It's true. Yeah. I can imagine that a snowstorm, as someone who's intimately connected with the homeless population, has a whole new meaning for you. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's true. I mean, you can't if you know the people personally, you can't get it out of your mind sometimes how they're doing. Yeah. Uh, on days like this, or when there's a long stretch of really bad weather. Yeah, I can imagine. What I wanted to ask you to start out with today is um, to tell us a little bit about how you got involved in doing this kind of work, how you got the idea, mm-hmm. whether you were reluctant once you had the idea, or you know mm-hmm. how what, what that whole process of deciding to do this was like. Yeah. Well, um, I think it probably, you know, there's some moments that I can really pick out. I don't know. I, there were a lot of things that probably added up to it. But um, when I was in seminary, when you're in seminary, a lot of emphasis goes on that you're going towards a church somewhere. You know, you're going to be uh, pastoring a church. Yeah. And I, I never felt drawn to that. I never felt like that was going to be a, uh, a work for me. I, I uh, wasn't sure what I was doing, but I didn't, I didn't think it was going to be that. And uh, I spent some time in Boston um, at, Cal- at Common Cathedral. It's uh, a homeless uh, ministry to the homeless that was started by... Uh, a, an Episcopal priest, uh, Debbie Wyman, hmm. uh, about 15 years ago, I think now. And so I volunteered down there uh, while I was in seminary, and I think there were two moments that really um, kind of solidified it. One was I was walking, I was shadowing one one of the pastors, one of the ministers, and she was just this oh, wonderful lady, and we, had, we were downtown, big tall buildings, it was winter, wind was whipping around, and we turned a corner and... Um, she uh, stopped, and I thought there were some blankets on the ground, uh, the kind of blankets that people move their furniture around in, those uh, padded quilted right. things. And uh, she went down on one knee, and up from under the blankets came a head, you know, with a kind of a rabbit hat with uh, wild ears. Mm-hmm. And uh, she just started talking to this fella, and I was just mesmerized. I, I hadn't even seen this was a human being, and mm-hmm. um, she was just so comfortable and just knew him and and they were just having this great conversation and he's lying underneath all of this padding and at the same time while I'm looking uh, two people walked by on my on my left they were just dressed impeccably they had long wool coats on and kind of patent leather shiny shoes and they stepped over this man and I didn't see their faces I was looking down at him so I just saw their feet and there was something about the stepping over of him mm. and the picture of her because I was just I was really not doing anything. I was just watching. And the picture of her on one knee, um, really paying attention to him. And I, I just, it just gave me um, something deep was moved. That's all. Something, something happened, and I just knew there was something about that kind of work, and there was something about that kind of listening that mm. I wanted to do. 
It sounds like you watch someone be treated, move from being treated like an object yes. to really a, a subject, a person. Yes, and I think the people walking by, the two guys walking by, represented most of us, you know, including myself, because mm. I would have walked by it a few minutes before, you know. Right, you, you weren't even sure there was a person there. No, no, I thought it was a, a bunch of kind of uh, blankets. Yeah. And then the last day I was there, another incident happened that I think solidified it for me. Um, and I was by myself this day. I was going to meet up with her in a, a bit. And, I, and a lot of times on people in the commons uh, during the winter, people sleep on the benches. They don't do that in Portland very much in the winter, but in, in Boston, for some reason, they actually curl up and sleep on the benches, and, or at least that was my experience. And so this fellow um, was sleeping in the snow, mm-hmm. and I went over to him just to see if he was uh, awake or asleep, and he was awake, and he looked at me, and he said, So you're back. And... You know, I was pretty naive, mm. and I started kind of gently arguing with him that I had never been there before, you know. Then I realized, what am I arguing, you know, about? And um, he said, yeah, I nearly went with you yesterday. And I said, well, what, what, what do you mean? And he said, yeah. He said, I got up, and he said, you, you wanted me to go to your church. And he said, I nearly went, but he said that when you told me that the reason I was lying on this bench was because I was a sinner, he said, I sat back down again. Ooh. And I really knew it was just this knowing that I don't haven't had a lot in my life that I was going to do work like this work but not with that message right with a different message and it was just I knew that I was supposed to do that mm-hmm. and um I don't usually have that kind of clarity and I didn't have any idea of where or how or what would happen and how to do it but that was that was really one of the clearest moments I knew that the the work was was to be something I was, I was going to be involved in. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like partly fueled by a wish to do it very differently. Yes. That part of you was sort of appalled at that. Yes, it just, yeah. well, it, it was wrong. I mean, the message to me was, was wrong. Yeah. And, and so then there was another way to do it, which was going to be kind of, uh, I guess, a search of how to do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Well, that sort of brings me to, so then you have these experiences. They really touch your heart. They really give you clarity. You know, I want to do it, and I want to do it in a way that feels true. And then when you actually got down to the nuts and bolts of how you would actually do it, um, mm-hmm. what came up in you? I mean, how was it difficult to decide to do this? Did it? What was that inner experience like? Yeah, I think, well, w- one thing that helped, I think, is, you know, within a few weeks I had met someone, another minister in Portland, and uh, she was very drawn to do the same work. Mm. And I, I think that was very helpful that there were two of us, not that we knew what we were up to, but it was it was like we were giving each other some support, yeah. And um, and we really didn't know what we were doing. I mean, we decided we were going to do some consistent showing up, and um, in an area where where there are uh, homeless and marginalized folks hanging out, and we were just going to try to see what they needed and what we could offer. And um, so we did. And. It wasn't. It wasn't particularly hard. Um, I think what is is different about it is it feels it feels somewhat embarrassing to do it. Hmm, tell <laughs> me about that. Yeah, that. Um, in fact, we would have little arguments because uh, I felt a little less embarrassed than my my co- my partner, and um, we would we would talk about well, should we go up and talk to that person? And I'd say, well, maybe that's a tourist, and maybe that's not a tourist. Mm-hmm. And maybe is that a homeless person? And we, we, you know, we were really kind of flying by the seat of our pants. And and at times, you know, we felt embarrassed. 
It was really, uh, we kept saying, oh my God, have we turned into these really hardcore evangelists that we are, are not really trying to be, you know? Right. And um, so the beginning, I, I think, was more in, uh, awkward. It was definitely awkward. Yeah. um, Well, I want to understand that a little more. Do you mean embarrassed, like, because, God forbid, you approach someone who you thought was homeless who turned out to not be? Or or maybe in in addition, was it just the awkwardness, the the natural human shyness of going up to a stranger and trying to talk to them? I think it was the, the human shyness of breaking through, that's right, of doing something that, it normally, I mean, normally isn't done. You just yeah. don't walk up and, and, and in general, you know, ask people how they're doing or things like that. You know? yeah. And I think on top of that, we had both felt that, um, that there was something about remembering the sacred, remembering, um, um, you know, when you start talking language and, and uh, in spiritual terms, it usually it has, always has the possibility of shutting people off. But the, the bigger picture... We were there to try to remember the bigger picture in, in terms of a spiritual life. And how to do that out front meant I had to come out of the closet. I was a pretty, I was always interested in spiritual search, and, but I was a kind of a closet seeker in many ways, even though I was an ordained minister. Mm-hmm. My prayer life was pretty quiet. My meditation life was pretty quiet. Mm-hmm. And this meant stepping out. Yeah. You know, this meant saying to someone else possibly, well, here's a prayer card. If you know, if, if you you know, interested in it, I find it to be an interesting prayer. Maybe you you know, maybe you'd like it yourself. If not, pass it on. Mm-hmm. And so the, it, there was. I didn't know that that I would have to break through that realm myself because I hadn't done this before. So I think it was just the normal, uh, you know, uh, awkwardness of of talking to people that we didn't know, you right. know, didn't know us. Right. And then also this other element that that. Sometimes we would very quickly get into, you know, of um, saying, well, we're pastors, we're street pastors. And then for some people, very quickly, we were talking on a pretty deep level about their spiritual life or their difficulties, you know, with with spiritual life. Mm-hmm. So for some people, that opened a door. Yes. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, in thinking about talking to you tonight, I was thinking, well, what would my fears be if I was going to do this work? And yeah. um, one of them would be, that, you know, people who are homeless have had a raw deal in life for for whatever reason it is. Right. And I can imagine that they might be angry with God if they if, if they imagine a God, you know, if they have a relationship with whatever, right. you know, whatever God they mean by that term. Right. And right. that they might be angry and they might want to take it out on me if I was considered to be, you know, the representative. And right. I wondered if you had, if you worried about that. Yeah. Well, I I think... First of all, I've been angry with God in my life, so I, I don't find that a big stretch, you know, that somebody else's anger. And the psalmists, I mean, you got to read some psalms to hear some real good anger at God. Right. But, I mean, that when that's there, if it's verbalized, if somebody says to me, you know, if they really want to chat and they, or you know, kind of debate a little bit, and they'll say, you know, I'm, I'm really pissed at God. If if there was a God, you know, how could this have happened to me? How could I have gotten, you know, arrested when I wasn't even you know, the person doing the crime, you know, or something they'll start talking about. And, you know, uh, most of the time it takes a, uh, uh, an ability, I think, just to listen to the person. They have, they have a, a, uh, an injustice that they're trying to tell somebody about, 
Yeah. Know. And from whoever they're mad at, they, you know, they want to tell somebody about it. Right. I, I think I wasn't so much meaning, you know, anxiety about them being angry with God so much as them taking it out on, on me. me. Yeah. Yes. And sometimes that happens. I can turn a corner, and because we're wearing, we're kind of, we're, we wear a, uh, a bronze cross that was made for homeless ministries in the United States, and so it's given out in a lot of cities, and we wear it too, and we give it out to anybody who wants it. And so when I turn a corner, some people will not look at my face. They'll see the cross. Mm-hmm. And because of whatever history they have with it, and it's probably not positive, um, I can see on their face, you know, that, that they're angry or, that, or they're trying to, in a, say, in a sense, rather, get, get rid of the cross, get rid of me, you know. And mm-hmm. th- as I said before, you know, those are embarrassing or, or frustrating times because I know I'm, I'm being uh, kind of objectified also. You know, I'm not being seen for, for myself. Right. I'm seen for the symbol that I'm wearing. Right, and I can say though, in in three years of of doing the work, um, I've never been physically, you know, um, threatened at all. I mm-hmm. have had people occasionally say, "Move away from me," and mm-hmm. I'll do that as quickly and as you know, as uh, respectfully as I can. Sure. Um, usually, you can pick it up before you, people even have to say it, yeah. and then I'll just walk by. You know, I yeah. won't even say my name or anything. I'll just say, have a good day. Hope you have a good day. Yeah. And uh, because a body language will tell you if if the person is really saying, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not receptive to this. Move away. I can imagine. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann, and this is Safe Space. My guest today is Pastor Mayor Hone and a street pastor. We're talking about the challenges of doing this kind of work. And... Another one that occurred to me that I wanted to ask you about was um, the fear of having your heart broken, the fear of really getting close to people who have suffered so much. Yeah. Well, I didn't know I had that fear, but I mean, I do. Mm. <laughs> but I, I have um, felt a great deal of sadness in this work. I mean, sometimes I've ended up back at my car and I just put my head down and cried because, you know, it's not a just world. And... Um, you know, all, anybody who does human service work or frontline work or pastors in general, I mean, they hear a lot of stories, and it's not just in this work. But the, I think the difference in this work is it's one after another after another, mm-hmm. and you're hearing a lot of stories, and there's a lot of injustice that's happened to people, and a lot of bad choices that have happened, and then people have, are trying to live through them. Yeah. And uh, so y- y- your heart, I don't know... Um, I don't know what to say about fear around that. I just think it's part of the work, and um, I would hate to get uh, callous towards it. I, I would hope I'd stop if that starts happening. I would hope I'd just say, you know, that's it. I've done this piece for a while. Because there's something in the um, feeling, you know, and understanding of how bad someone feels and, and how bad their life has been or is right now that, um, I don't know, it doesn't put us in the same boat. But it, it kind of joins our humanity together. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you're I, saying I think part of what you give is your willingness to be moved, your willingness for your heart to be open. Yes, I don't, I, I don't see how... Otherwise, you'd be doing a checklist in this work. You'd be going from one person to another, getting a pair of boots, getting a pair of socks, maybe driving somebody to the court system. I mean, you I see, do so that. you do do some concrete kind of yes. service type stuff as well. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. I didn't know that. Um, we try to, again, I mean, I, I, I'm wandering around these certain places uh, pretty much consistently um, each week, and 
and now um, I'm more known than I was in the beginning, and people will come up and say, you know, I, I lost my boots, you know, and um, so if they can't get them at a, at a you know, at the uh, clothes closet, then I can, I can do that. I can get them boots. How do you get them boots? Where, where well, I beg for, <laughs> for donations. <laughs> and I so see. we have some money coming in, and then that money goes back out. I see. So sort of you use your connections to help people access resources. Say that again. I'm sorry. You use your connections to kind of help people access resources. Well, sometimes, and sometimes we just go get them boots. I see, right? You just go buy those boots yourself. Yeah, we just go to Walmart and get right, boots. Right, <laughs> right. So I want to ask you now a question a, to tell us a story. What would be a story of something that just describes the kind of thing that you might do other than buying boots for someone? That mm. Well, a um, woman comes up to mind um, that uh, I, I really had, uh, she just loved this person a lot. She had... I'd met her when she first got homeless, and she hadn't been homeless before. She's a middle-aged woman, and so I kind of went uh, through with her a little bit of what that, you know, real trauma was of being homeless and the first time in a shelter. And, and she also um, seemed to have an alcohol problem, but didn't want to talk about it at that time as a problem. And so I, I knew her for I guess a year and a half. And one day I came upon her, and she was just crying and crying, and uh, wanted to get out of the day shelter. And I just said, well, let's go for a drive and she at that time had a room in a rooming house so I drove her back to a rooming house. It was pouring rain. She was soaking wet and uh, I don't know it was just a it was just a, a, a kind of a good example of the work actually because it isn't Hollywood. You don't have these miraculous uh, moments where everybody dances off stage and everything is going to be wonderful and so I was sitting with her in this room that was really like out of Dickens. I mean it was just the pits. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, you know, if you weren't depressed before, you would certainly be tr- depressed living in this room. And um, I was just sitting with her, and there were some half, you know, uh, half-filled bottle of glasses, rather, wine around. And in the middle of the room was this broken umbrella. It was turned upside down, inside out, and just lying in the middle of the floor. And I couldn't get my eyes off it. I mean, she was just sobbing and sobbing and talking about the hopelessness of life and how she knew she would never have recovery. She was totally, totally convinced that maybe other people, but she would never have recovery. And so she was honestly talking about her drinking, but, but in a very hopeless way. Yeah. And I, I just kind of, uh, I, th- I think I phased out for a few moments and just was looking at this umbrella in the middle of the room and, and then, you know, got back to her and talked a little bit about it and asked her if she wanted to go to, re- to rehab and a, and a detox and she didn't want to go. And, and eventually after, I don't know how long, I just was sitting listening to her and talking about you know, basically how life is difficult and how, you know, it, 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 how her life has been difficult for lots of reasons. And, and then she needed a ride somewhere, so I kind of, we all got ourselves together and got into the car again. It was still pouring rain. I drove her to where she was going. And she's getting out of the car, and um, I've noticed in the back of my car underneath a lot of junk, there's an umbrella. And so I, my arm goes to the umbrella, and she's outside on the sidewalk, and I, I call her name, and I say, you know, I have an umbrella. You want an umbrella, uh, you know, to keep dry a little bit. And uh, she says, oh, no, 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 I don't I don't take, I don't take stuff, you know. And I say, oh, come on, you, you know, this is ridiculous here. With the, and she looked, looked at me and she said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a kind of stubborn person. And I said, no, like I haven't noticed this already. And the <laughs> two of us just start laughing. <laughs> and she's standing on the sidewalk drenched, and I've got the umbrella in my hand, and she takes the umbrella and 
basically, it was one of the last times I saw her. I think I saw her for about five minutes another uh-huh. day, and I'd never seen her since. And there was something about that and that experience of that wraps up a lot of this ministry, which mm-hmm. is it's a being with and sometimes offering something uh, that actually fits the person's life at that moment um, without expectation and without a lot of, uh, I'm going to fix you, I want you to be a certain way, or you have to accept this dogma or anything. And um, I also, you knew her well enough for her to assert her stubbornness to you, (laughs) which was a a level of realness that was wonderful. I'm going to take this moment, uh, Pastor Mayor, to take a musical break. We're going to play just a little bit of Stand By Me, which seems very in keeping with what you just said. Stand By Me as played by the group of street musicians uh, called Playing for Change. This song says, uh, no matter who you are, no matter where you go in your life, at some point you're going to need somebody to stand by you. This is WMPG, and my name is Dr. Ann. This is Safe Space, and I'm talking today to Pastor Mayor, the pastor of Grease Street Ministry, a street ministry here in Portland, Maine. Uh, so, Pastor Mayor, you know that story that you just told us about being in this incredibly depressing room with this woman, part of what strikes me about it, you share this moment of laughter together. You're drenched. She's refusing your help. It feels to you that it captures the essence of what you're doing, and yet you don't see her again, or you see her again in, so briefly, and yet you share this very poignant moment. And I wonder, uh, is that common in your work, that you get connected and then you then, yes. you, then you lose it? And how, yes. how is that for Yes, you? it's a very transient population. Um, and there, there are some hardcore homeless people that are staying in shelters for years, but in general, um, there's a moving on, whether that's they leave the area for another city or um, they get housing outside of Portland or away from downtown. So, um, yes, I, I, uh, every few months, it, it's all new faces again, pretty much. Mm. And you just are reconciled to that. That's just what well, it is. Well, it's, it's not, uh, it's sometimes I think I am, and then, <laughs> and then I find I wake up in the morning and I've got somebody's face in my mind wondering, where is that person and are they, are they well, you know? But yeah. it it is actually a, uh, not easy, but there's something about it that um, can be very helpful in terms of understanding that everything changes in life and you can't really hold on to much. And if, if for my own spiritual path, it's actually helpful, mm. you know, because it, it really does make me face a lot of things about letting go that I don't particularly want to face, actually. Yeah. So say a little more about that. How do you do that? 
Well, I, I pray a lot. Mm-hmm. I pray before I go on the street. I have a little prayer I say. I usually, um, you know, say the same thing most of the time. I, I just say, if there's something to hear, let me hear it, Lord. If there's something to do, give me the strength and the courage to do it. And if there's nothing to do, let me relax in you. And I pray then. And then when I'm finished and walking off the street or getting back to my car or whatever I'm doing, I usually pray again. And when I go home, I wash my hands and face. It's a little ritual. Mm-hmm. And I say, Lord, all these blessed ones belong to you. They're not mine. I can't carry them. And uh-huh. I say these little, they're little rituals, but they actually work. <laughs> they yeah. help me a lot. Yeah, that I can't carry them. That sounds no powerful and helpful to be reminded of. I can imagine getting pulled into wanting to feel, wanting to, you know, wanting to try to. Yes. Yeah. So um, another question I wanted to ask you is what what does it give you to do this? I mean, for anything to be sustainable, it has to be connected into your own joy somehow or right. your own, and I, I'd love to hear about that. Oh, I work with, I, I mean, these are some of the most wonderful people that you could find. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I work with these great people. I mean, they're they're honest in many ways. I don't mean that they they won't manipulate. Like, you know, some folks have if they're doing the street for years. They've learned how to manipulate the world or or others. But um, laughter is a daily part of what I experience with people. Mm. You know, and a letting go, of, uh, uh, an acceptance. I mean, an acceptance of of. Uh, the craziness in life, you know, somebody turned around and said, I left my boots by the heater, past the mayor. I just had given the boots to the guy 24 hours before, and he said, I turned around, the boots were gone. <laughs> we were, I mean, instead of really getting angry about that, maybe somebody should get angry about that, actually, the two of us were hysterical. I mean, it was just so funny that, that you know, somebody had, had uh, done this swift you know, thievery in a matter of seconds, and ran out with the boots. And uh, anyway, there's a right. lot of, a lot of um, people who have had things crack open and have had severe loss. I mean, it can make you crazy, that's for sure. But I also think it really met, lets people be humble in some ways. That um, that I think people that have a lot of things and hold on to a lot just don't experience. Mm, so it's a kind of authenticity. Absolutely. Or a realness that you're absolutely that you just enjoy so much. I, I really I don't like everybody I meet, but it's not hard to love them. It's mm. really not hard. Yeah, it's great to hear that. I wondered in closing, we just have a few more minutes. Um, if you would share with me the reading that you had told me about, um, okay, that, that sure. felt like it speaks sure. speaks to some of what we've talked about today. Right. This is from uh, edited by Roberts and Amadon uh, from A Thousand Years of Prayer. Opening our hearts makes us vulnerable. In that vulnerability, we fear that our hearts may be broken. And yes, the world's pain does break our hearts over and over again. But a broken heart is not a paralyzed one. Buddha, Jesus, Mohammed, and the saints, prophets, and masters of all religions have revealed this. Hearts are broken open, not destroyed. And from an open heart's capacity to be with suffering, healing can arise. And so um, you sound like you you know that from the inside in your own work. Yeah, well, I don't know if I know it, but it it, it, it sounds familiar. <laughs> it sounds familiar. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. It does sound like there, there's truth in that, in that uh, 
in that paragraph. Do you think that the healing is mutual? Do you feel that there's something, hopefully, that is going in both directions? Yeah, I, I, I do feel that, but I don't get attached to it, hopefully, much. I try not to, because I don't know what it is. It's like a, the miracle to me sometimes of, of two people actually being with each other and having respect for each other is, is what I experience a lot. And, uh, and that's based now on some trust that, that I've been there for a while. But, um, but other than that, wh- how much healing happens or where it's all going to go, or um, I don't know that. I let that go. Mm-hmm. I really don't know that. I don't know how you could do this work and really hold on to that because, you know, life is, is chaotic and a lot of things go up and down so many you ke- times. You keep you know, your so. expectations uh, grounded and not grandiose, it sounds like. Yeah, well, I don't have too many expectations. You know, on on that note, we need to stop. I want to thank you so much for talking to me tonight. It's been really a pleasure to connect with you and hear about uh, what you do. You're welcome. Thanks for for inviting me. Yeah, you're you're, um, glad to. I want to let people know about Gray Street Ministry. If people want to find out more about it or be in touch, Pastor Mayor, do you have a contact number or a website? Yes, they can call 210 7069 and we also have um, they want to just read about it we do have a blog it's graystreetministry.blogspot.com wonderful thank you so much my thanks tonight to Goober for mixing the sound and Maurice Lennon for the music my name is Dr. Ann this is Safe Space if you'd like to contact me to get more information or to suggest a new topic for a show email me at drannwmpg at gmail.com that's dr.annewmpg at gmail.com. Next Wednesday at 7.30, I'll be hosting Dr. John Zeisel talking about creative responses to the fear of getting dementia. Coming up next is Money Talks with Allison. <laughs>